Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Leon get two wins in a week. Wabi Kazri is in the form of his life and Marseille are fun to watch again. Yes, it truly feels like we've entered a portal to a long forgotten time back when fans were in stadiums, when the only Corona Ligue 1 players had were the Swedish pennies lining the pockets of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Euler Toivonen, and when you would have been laughed out of a bustling Parisian brasserie for suggesting that Raymond Domenech could be given another club coaching role. But we are indeed in 2021 and heading into the final six matches of the season. Today, we'll be discussing Marseille and Montpellier's chaotic three-all draw, Lille continuing their championship lead thanks to a scrappy win over Metz, and Rudy Garcia finally getting it right with Lyon, just in time for the rumour mill to start churning surrounding his replacement. We'll also be previewing Paris Saint-Germain's upcoming second leg tie against Bayern Munich at the Parc des Princes after they uh, won the first leg 3-2. I'm joined as usual by Eric Devin. Hey Eric, how's it going? Uh, well, thank you. Yes, uh, more good football over the weekend and excited to discuss it. Yes, excited in, indeed. Um, I'm also joined tonight by Mohamed Ali. Good evening, Mo. Evening, evening everybody. And with us as well tonight is Jeremy Smith. Welcome back, Jez. Great to have you on. And sorry that it's for one of those increasing, increasingly rare weeks, I should say, these days where Mets have lost a game. Uh, th- thanks for having me. It's not well, still not that, not as rare as I'd like it to be, but um, certainly better than well the last twenty years, basically. So. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully Brighton can uh, can cheer you up uh, this evening and get a win. Yeah, there. Uh, anyway, having uh, started with a 1-0 last week, let's start with where the goals were this weekend. And that was uh, in the Montpellier-Marseille match. Marseille's quest for European football saw them face a difficult trip to the Stade de la Mosson, where they would come up against the Montpellier side three points behind them in the table and who themselves are looking to secure continental football come the end of the season. Marseille had won just once in the past five years away in Montpellier and got off to the worst possible start when Andy Delors gave La Payade the lead after just 28 seconds through a sublime chip, the fastest goal in the 2020-2021 Ligue 1 season, I believe. Marseille found an equaliser just before half-time through a smart finish from Arcadius Milik and moments later found themselves 2-1 up going into the break thanks to Pap Gay. Shockingly, however, it was another case of déjà vu for OM as Montpellier caught them out early in the second half, Gaetan Laborde finding the equaliser. As if the game couldn't get any more frantic, Marseille went down to 10 men for the final 28 minutes after a rash challenge saw Duye Chalatachar given his marching orders. And yet it was Marseille who took the lead again through substitute Luca Perrin. Marseille looked set to hold on after some vital goalkeeping interventions from Steve Mandanda, but Montpellier found a way with Laborde heading home his second of the match to make it three all with seconds remaining. Uh, Mo, this was a pretty uh, breathless game of football. Uh, wh- what did you make of it? And d- do you feel, well, are you pleased with a point as a Marseille fan here? Or or are you disappointed that they didn't go on to hang on in this one? Because obviously, given the circumstances, you probably would have taken a point had you known how the match would uh, would play out. Yeah. Um... It's, it's a tough one because there was 
certain the elements of the good, the bad, and the ugly in in that game from from a Marseille point of view. Um, I mean, you can't really be too disappointed. Montpellier were, you know, in great form before the game. They are a side that's really sort of hit. I mean, I know they've drawn a lot recently, but they're a side that certainly found themselves um, over the past month or two. And, you know, going to the Mosson is always a very difficult uh, place. And when you're down to 10 men for the last, what was it, 20, what, half an hour even, um, you can't be too disappointed. But the fact that, you know, OM had shown a very different face when they'd gone, uh, you know, to 10. And even though it's been a very... um, it's a bit of a recurring situation this season with so many red cars that they've actually learned to play with 10 men, actually on, in some occasions play better with 10 men. So the fact that, you know, they, they continue to attack, continue to press Montpellier, did find chances and then and then get that third goal it is incredibly frustrating. And judging by the, you know, the faces of Dimitri Payet and, and some of the players, the fact that they let that slip, it's it felt, felt like a bit of a, uh, punching the gut but that's you know that is still a really really decent point the fact that they've still come away and scored three but they have to really really be frustrating in San Paolo in particular at the sources of the goals I mean it's one thing to have um, the back three which was um, you know something that OM had been featuring as very lately um, being overrun by long balls um, from from Montpellier and also, um, the, you know, they, they were just exploiting the space that was left behind for large periods of the first half. But, you know, <laughs> 28 seconds after the game had begun, then 62 seconds after the um, the halftime uh, period had ended, and then, what was it, 30, 40 seconds before the end of the match, you've got to really focus on the, the lapses of concentration by the team there, how they set themselves up, you know what the levels are there because I think you know you 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 cannot be happy at that. You you've essentially gifted. You could probably argue you've gifted Montpellier all three goals, and I know you know Marseille were a little bit fortuitous in getting the goals back a quick, um, you know, turnaround of the games before half time. You know what I'm criticizing OM for. You can certainly criticize Montpellier for, but those three goals. I mean, the coach has. You know, what more can you do? Really, really want more can you do? But we'll take the point. We'll take the point because, you know, that was the hardest game of the season that was left on paper. And it should be, and I've said this, I know I say this every week, it really, really should be, especially now, plain sailing. Because there's no more, with the, with the exception of Mets, obviously, in the final game of the season, no more teams were left to face in the top 10. Whereas, obviously, Lanza have got Paris and Lille and Monaco still to, to, still to face a touch wood, touch wood. Your opening will be asked. You say that, Mo, but you know, Lons <laughs> do, do keep uh, keep 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 things ticking over. Obviously, they beat Lorient four one at the weekend, and are kind of yet to show any sign of slowing down, really. But I mean, just just taking it back to this one and to, to kind of what you were saying there. I mean, the, the defensive performances under San Paoli have kind of left quite a lot to be desired so far, and I do think that that defensive structure that back three of Alvaro Gonzalez Chalatachar and Belerdi they haven't you know that game was the, maybe the worst so far or or perhaps the Nice match uh, when they also conceded three I believe but what I mean do you feel already that Sampaoli should be looking to to, to tweak things and to, to shake things up or is this just a case of kind of early days so far and 
and we're not really kind of seeing this team um, oh. this team further down the line when perhaps they will have a bit more organisation and a bit more stability. I think he's tweaked a lot already in his short time. Um, you know, Luis Enrique is pay, uh, playing that left wing back, um, which you know I don't think he's he's done particularly well uh, so far. But you know, it's it's early days for him as well in, in a new unfamiliar position. Um, you know, five three two slash three five two formation because he's he's come in and said, look, this team is absolutely not equipped to play four three three four two three one. So that's not happening. Um, and you know Leonardo Belletti in particular is now is sort of one of the San Paoli favourites. He, he features in the back three with with Alvaro and Chiletta Sa. Um, you know, yeah, and obviously Pai is now playing up front um, alongside Milik and Tovan is in in the middle three. So you know, there's quite a few players in in new new positions. Um, and I think he just recognises that it really is a um, you know stopgap because that squad needs complete overhaul. You know, the players. Such as Olivier Cham, who's you know certainly on the one foot back in Glasgow at the moment. Um, Valerjeman has completely been discarded, much to the um, uh, yeah, satisfaction, I suppose, of, of some of the fans. And um, Dario Benedetto is really not seeing any 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 you know top minutes anymore. Um, and I think he recognises that there's a there's certain dearth in quality in that squad. So he's he's doing the best he can, and I think. You know, ten points out of a possible fifteen is is not a, a poor return, particularly given some of the tough games in 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 that fixture. You know, Ren and Montpellier, um, obviously Nice, which was a defeat, um, and in the tricky breast side as well. Um, so that is, yeah, I think it's so far a comfortable uh, performance by him. I mean, Milik is continuing to be among the goals. Marseille fans must be praying that he stays because you know, with Tovan on his way out and perhaps being downgraded and you know not a lot of money to bring in um creative players you just gotta hope that he, he stays because he he did score a really really nice goal that's five and seven i believe for him now and um you know it's there's about what six games left six very winnable games um you know to stabilize the club and then to to have the really tough uh, discussions about who to keep and who to who to let go because yeah, I mean, this season, unfortunately, I set Marseille back a year or two with what should have been a, a good season and a good platform, obviously, with the Champions League and second place finish. Um, you know, the last two, three months has been in particular <laughs> very traumatising for everyone involved, obviously, both on the pitch and off the field as well. Um, so, so far, so good. They're sort of almost limping towards the finish line. They're, there's nobody, with the exception of uh, Kamara, um, and obviously Milik, who who are actually performing at a really decent level. Um, there are a couple of favourites, such as, like I said, Lurola and and Balerdi, who who are perhaps reaping the benefits of of this new formation. But you know they do both share a lot of weaknesses. Balerdi can be quite erratic in his in his defending. Lurola, in particular, is just not as defensively minded as Iraqi Sakai, in particular Bruno Saar. But going forward, he can be a real boon to the attack. Um, in in a new formation or in a new structure, you know how many minutes will they see? Of course, but both of them are unknown. They might be sent back to their parent clubs if the finances don't allow. So there's still a lot of question marks, and this is really a makeshift OM, which is obviously such a shame because you've you've seen maybe the top four in particular are are a, 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 you know a golf apart at the moment. They're they're fighting not only for the Champions League but for the actual 
title itself and and you can bet you know in the summer despite the covid restrictions that they're going to look to solidify their their sides as as well as they can and um you know marseille will find it really difficult whether they do such a good job of rebuilding to actually break in uh to the top three or top four for for a while so you know this summer is going to be very very important and i think the next six games will decide who who stays who can who can thrive on the San Paolo and who will be uh, discarded very, very easily this summer. Moving on to Montpellier. Now, um, for this next question, I found myself Googling Hilton Age, uh, which returned 101, which while not actually that far off, is obviously not the defender's actual age. That is the age of the uh, famous hotel chain. But I want to talk about uh, Montpellier's defence and in particular, their defensive record this season, because they have the worst defence in the top 15. That's 53 goals conceded after 32 games, which is not like we expect from a from a Michel de Zakarian team or not, not the teams of, of, of years gone by. Um, given how strong they've been going forward this season, I guess that perhaps the defence is costing them in, in the race for, for European football. Jeremy, why why do you think their defensive record this season has been so bad? Is it down to the the aging veterans at the back, the likes of Daniel Congre and Vittorino Hilton, who who's what forty three now? Um, is it down to the changing systems that we've seen? You know, there's been a bit more unsettled. They've seemed a bit more unsettled this season with whether to play in a a three five two shape or a four three three shape, or or is it that there is more of an onus on attacking than there has been in previous seasons? What what do you think that could be down to? Um, I do, I do think that that they've sort of got more attacking options that they have than they have done maybe in the past, and so that that might be a bit of a factor. But I feel like, I mean, you, I think you certainly saw it um, at the weekend, and, and you know that sort of unfortunate nutmeg of of, of Milik on Hilton kind of maybe encapsulated a lot of, of of recent weeks. I think Hilton and maybe even Congrave, who's I think he's 36, maybe, and, and amazingly played played every match this season. Um, I think they are beginning to look their age. There have been rumours of sort of changing room bust-ups or certainly strong disagreements and that possibly some of them are, are caused by the fact that at times, I think a lot of the team are not comfortable with a back three, but sometimes Zakarian has been opting for that, basically to give Hilton a little bit more protection. And you know, we all know what a great servant he's been for, for Montpellier and, and Marseille as well. What a, a great great player he's been for Ligue 1 on the whole. But I think this year he really has started to look a bit creaky. And, and when that's happening, you probably don't necessarily want, you know, the younger member of your central defence to be to be 36. So um, I think they are going to have to to look at that position and, and, and see what they're going to do with, with central defence during the summer. Um, Sambia, I think, is quite an attacking-minded fullback as well. So possibly sometimes gets caught out of position a little as well. But um, yeah, as you said, there's, there's Akari and, and Montpellier probably is a club as well, sort of more known certainly in recent years for their defensive rigour. And, and to see them having conceded so much, I think you've got, you've got to point the finger at the defence. And, and it's only fair to, to kind of, draw the obvious conclusions of, um, about Hilton and Conquay. Yeah, it does seem like they they need a succession plan at the back because I know in the past, especially when they were playing that back three, they were uh, 
there was the odd match where Nicolas Kodza was getting a game perhaps instead of Congre or instead of Hilton or, or Pedro Mendes, but he clearly hasn't convinced. So, um, you know, that is certainly the area of the team that, that needs addressing the most urgently, uh, given the talent they have elsewhere. But but on that, uh, and and the last thing on Montpellier, um, Eric, that was Andy Delors' 11th goal of the season. Obviously, he's having another great season as, as he does uh, at Montpellier. There was a lot of talk of, of Gaetan Laborde making a move to the Premier League in January, and that seems to have kind of died down ever so slightly. Do you see the future of players like Laborde and Delors as dependent on whether Montpellier qualify for Europe? Because I think you have to probably give the club credit over recent seasons that they've been able to hang on to these guys. But do you think if if they aren't able to to qualify for the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, then they risk losing their strikers or perhaps other players this summer? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We have definitely seen a shift in Montpellier's uh, transfer strategy in recent seasons. I think that the arrivals of, I mean, you know, Stephanie Mavididi didn't arrive on a free. I think he cost $6 million, uh, if some, something to that effect as well. Uh, Tashi Savanier was a club record by, uh, yeah, Delors, Laborde. Um, they've clearly made a move more than a lot of other clubs have in, uh, in this time period to to bolster their attack. And I think that's part of the reason they have been a more attack-minded club is that that's, quite, to be quite frank, where the club have spent their money. Um, you know, they're asking Michel de Sakari and a player, a uh, manager rather, sorry, who we talked about as having this sound defensive reputation, you know, through his time at at, uh, with Reims before this and, and with Nantes as well in his previous spell in Ligue 1 as being a negative player, but I, sorry, a negative manager. But I do think that what we're seeing here is the team are more attack-minded. And I, I do think that, um, yeah, I think that these these players, I don't think necessarily think that they're too good for, for, for Ligue 1 per se, but I, I do think that they could, you know, certainly be, be a boon at a, a team, to a team that has a more, um, yeah, has more creativity behind them and, and, you know, can operate on a bigger stage. So I do think that they risk that. I think that now that this, this, you know, more higher minded project, as it were, rolls into its second and its third year, um, on from having bought Savanier, having bought, uh, Delors, having bought Laborde, um, what the sustainability of that is, um, you know, we know obviously that like all, all clubs in France, Montpellier are, are hurting financially. Um, and you know they resisted the urge to sell those players in January. In January, and um, whether that continues in the summer without European football, I, I do think is is something the club ought to be worried about. Um, I think we'll we'll see what happens there. But you know, clearly, as we mentioned, that defense is going to need some reinforcement. Um, and you know, I I would argue they probably need to upgrade a goal too. I'm not. I've never been a huge fan of of Jonas Omlin. Um, so yeah. That's just what, what I'm looking at at this point in time. Yeah, there are areas of the team that need to that need improvement. Players who may leave, and also the financial situation hinges on the fact as well that they've got their new stadium coming. So it is going to be an interesting summer for Montpellier, as it is for for many clubs in Ligue 1. Let's move further up the table, well, to the top, in fact, and check in with Lille. After beating Paris Saint-Germain to go top, Les Dogues were looking at increasing their lead against Metz in Friday's match. Uh, Les Grenats had lost on penalties to Monaco in the Coupe de France and were without a win in their last four, but were still enjoying an impressive season. Metz started the match on the front foot 
and after a deflected shot hit the arm of Jose Font, the home side were awarded a penalty. Nevertheless, Aaron Leia Iseka was denied from the spot by a brilliant Mike Mignon save. Metz continued to look the more dangerous of the two sides, forcing saves from Mignon and hitting the woodwork. But as they tend to do, Lille were able to soak up the pressure and pick up a vital goal through Burak Yilmaz, uh, Yilmaz sorry, his 10th of the season. At the end of the match, Celik made it 2-0 to take Lille six points clear at the top of Ligue 1, a lead which was halved when Paris Saint-Germain won against Strasbourg on Saturday, but a significant win nonetheless. Jez, I'll come to you on this one. I mean, it was a it was a pretty unlucky day for Metz at the office. I mean, the XG says it all really. It was I think it was nearly I think it was 1.96 for Metz, 0.56 for Lille. So so yeah, Metz were uh, were unlucky in this one. Yeah, well, you mentioned Brighton earlier. I mean, as a Brighton fan, I think the season just proves that XG is a load of rubbish. Like <laughs> all it does is rub it in. <laughs> um, well, you know, when you have a good game and get nothing out of it. Um, I have to say, like at the start, I was, I'm not going to say I was torn, but of the top four or top three, because I'm not sure about Lyon, I, I, I do want Lille to win the league. So that, that was my consolation. But it was really frustrating because um, much like a lot of the season, Mess have, have played well. And, and although I think the season has exceeded expectations in general, there's just a lot of frustration at, at how certain matches have turned out. And, you know, the, the very start of the season, we had those very narrow defeats to, to Lille, PSG, Monaco, then the, the last glass draw of Marseille equaliser. Um, and it's felt like that a little bit again recently. I know Monaco ran out easy winners, but the referee gave them a big helping hand there and then going out on penalties. And then this match where Mess certainly for the first half, but I think a lot of the second or, you know, probably until until Yilmaz's goal, pretty much dominated the match. Really good football, but the difference is ultimately that, um, well, <laughs> partly Menor, and I've heard a lot in the last few days, you know, Lille would have lost if it wasn't for Menor, or PSG would have lost if it wasn't for Navas. I mean, I always think it's a bit silly when people talk about the keeper in those terms because he's one of 11 players on the pitch and he's doing his job. And, you know, it's as important for the keeper to make those saves as it is for, for the striker to put them away. So, um, you know, I have no issues with that. And, and um, I actually thought it was a relatively soft penalty anyway, so probably justice was done there. But the fact that Lekip's team of the week had Menor and two Lille defenders in probably says a lot about um, the fact that it was Mess making all the play. And, um, you know, Nian has been out since August and he's still Mess's top scorer, which says a lot. Um, I think we've missed maybe four or five penalties this season. The the strikers that we've got just probably, I think they've all got different sort of skill sets, but uh, none of them are really top quality, really up to it. Wagner I'll let off a little bit because he's come back from a long injury. Um, Oppo and Get, who was, you know, they decided was going to be the backup to Nian. He's been out for a few months now as well. And even amongst the rest of the team, certainly in midfield and a couple of defensive positions as well, they've had to contend with a lot of injuries, like season-long injuries. So I think part of the problem is that, that the team is shattered. There hasn't been enough rotation. There hasn't been able to be. Um, so there are sort of frustrations. 
Um, and this match kind of encapsulated everything about Messi's season. You know, you had Pat Matasar, who I'm petrified about. He's, he's just so good. He's such a great prospect. And I really worry that he's not going to be there come next season. But, um, you know, you had him looking bright in midfield. You had Belaya in one of his moods where he's, he's a little bit more up for it. Defence looks solid. Um, and the team made chances. Um, but then sort of ran out of steam in the second half and, and the, the extra quality of Lille showed. So it's frustrating, but if you told me at the start of the season that this would this is where we'd be, and if you told me that after Nian was ruled out for more or less the whole season and Doram as well, and Pajor had his sort of latest bout of injuries, then um, you know, the bit in your hands off. So in that sense, I can't be disappointed. And it kind of, amongst, Around the club, it is definitely the, the sort of the most positive that anyone has been for a good 20 years. But I think there's a big summer ahead, not so much in terms of bringing players in, but sort of resisting interest from others. You know, Marseille have often been linked with Santons. I think a lot of clubs will be after Saar. Belayo, I think a couple of clubs have been um, interested in him as well. So I am a little bit worried about that. But if they can keep the nucleus together, I think Antonetti's doing a fabulous job. And, and I hope but we can sort of um, continue what, what, what we started this year. And then as, as for Lille, c- credit to them. I mean, I think people are a bit harsh saying that their football's dour. It hasn't been great recently, but I think at the start of the season, they played some really great stuff. And I think it takes um, you know, a team that wins the league is a team that's going to be able to eke out results when they're not at their best. And we know that Galtier has already proved himself as a good defensive manager and a good attacking manager. And I think he's... He's managing to find the right balance, and um, you know it's 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 a team sport, and that's what I really like about Lille that they pull together, and when some players aren't at their best, they're they're sort of bailed out by others. And you look at PSG, that was the problem against Lille. You know there was only one team on the pitch, and the two matches PSG have played since, um, to be fair to them, have been very much team performances. Um, but I think possibly at the end of the season, that's what it's going to be about, who who puts together the most team performances. And that's why I'm still not convinced PSG will win, even though they've got the extra quality, and why I'm still not convinced Lyon are going to be able to, to keep it up. One thing that could potentially, I guess, off the field derail Lille at this point is the kind of increasing speculation we've seen around Christophe Galtier's future over the past week or so. And, you know, that's nothing new. Neither is speculation about their players. But there was, um, he was asked in a press conference about being linked with Nice, which I find quite um, remarkable. I would not have expected uh, Galtier to, to to make the move from from Lille to Nice. That definitely seems like a downgrade, regardless of the, the project um, that Ineos have down there. But also, as of today, um, he was being linked by... Um, journal, a journalist associated with France football to the Lyon job. Um, Eric, do we think there's there are any legs to that? I mean, that's something we've kind of speculated about before and we've said that we think he would perhaps be a very good fit there. But yeah, do, do you think there are any legs to these rumours? And do you feel that this kind of attention could have a negative impact on Lille when the situation is so precarious? You know, just six games left, just a three-point lead. I, I, yeah, I do think it's 
I, I do think that there is there's something that there's something to them. I mean, it's not that you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. This is something that keeps coming up. Uh, will it be distracting? Um, you know, I think that's hard to that. I'd like to think no. I think that there is you know enough experience and veteran nows um, within the legal side to make this not as much of an issue as it as it would otherwise be. Uh, I. You know, you we've talked about how this team really has the right has an excellent balance of youth and experience, and we think that those players know how to get the job done, no matter what the situation is. I mean, Barack Yilmaz, you know, having spent so much time in Turkey, obviously, um, you know, the pressure of playing for the big clubs there offers a similar set of pressure to the managers there. I'm sure he, you know, will be a fine example for you know not allowing distractions to get you know to have their effect on his play. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I'm sure as a Leon speaking as a Leon fan, I'd be more than happy to have Christoph Galtier come in. I, I've said numerous times on this show, I have a lot of time for him as a manager. I think he's been the best manager in France over the past decade. Um, full stop. <clears throat> and I, I think I think that um, you know Leon would Leon need to get a new manager. I think that that's pretty pretty apparent. Um, and you know, if Galtier is available, I think he's he makes a solid choice. Um, you know whether or not they have the the means to lure him there, especially if they don't have Champions League football. Uh, you know, is a matter of some contention, but we'll see how that shakes out. We will indeed. Um, and and just to end our discussion on on this one, and especially while we have you on, Jez. I mean, you kind of touched on it with what you were saying earlier on, but it has been a, a tough few weeks for Mets comparatively. I mean, yes, of course they've had an excellent season, and their their recent results have been against the likes of of Monaco and a resurgent Ren side, and they were. Very unlucky, uh, you could say, to lose on penalties as, well, anyone is really in a penalty shootout um, to Monaco in, in the Coupe de France midweek. But do you feel this kind of recent bout of form is just a result of fatigue because of the injuries that Mets have had to contend with? Um, or do you feel that anything else has, has kind of gone awry on the pitch? Um, I don't think anything's particularly gone awry on the pitch. I think it's it's a mixture of I think that probably there's there's an element of you know we've achieved what we set out to achieve and maybe a little bit of um sort of relaxing um then yeah the tiredness and the and the lack of rotation but also you look at um Messi's recent matches I mean it's been a tough run so it, they weren't necessarily expected to get anything from them anyway it was um you know working backwards Lille Monaco Rennes and Lens that none of them are straightforward. They're all teams sort of, you know, top, top sort of six, seven, eight, um, you know, top five, if, if you take Ren out of it. So um, the fact that I think in most of those matches, they were, they were in the match and, and um, you know, on another day could have got a little, little more out of them. There's still positives to take there. Um, I think, you know, we all got very excited when, when Mess were in fifth place for a week or so, but, um, you know that wouldn't, although they've had a good season, that wouldn't really be a, a, a fair reflection of where they are as a, where they're at as a team. And you know, uh, it'd be disappointing considering how the season's gone if we sort of slipped out of the, the top half of the table. But I think anywhere in the top half would be um, would be a, a really good showing, and, and uh, yeah, just something really positive to reflect on at the end of the season. Do you think I just wanted to say, oh, sorry, I just okay. want to say it does seem strange how this was scheduled, right? Because that's literally a mess playing three matches in seven days, having played the Coupe de France match in the week, and then they played on Saturday, Saturday last week. So Saturday through Friday, 
playing three matches. Usually they structure things a little bit differently around the Coupe de France with those midweek games, allowing Mess to play on this, you know, on the on the Sunday uh, this week or at least the Saturday. Um, so that quick turnaround and you know a lack of squad depth with those injuries just really seems like a a really cruel hand to deal them, um, both yeah. in terms of how well they've done in the cup and and domestically. I don't know what the reasoning was, but I know when when it was announced or two three weeks ago, it certainly didn't go down very mm-hmm. well at Mess. Yeah, no one's in Europe between those among those teams. It's just, it just really does not make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's strange strange scheduling there and 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 hard on on Mess, um, but. Anyway, let's move on to Christophe Galtier's potential future suitors in our final match that we will be discussing from the weekend, and that is Lyon versus Angers. Lyon's recent form had seen them fall behind, not only in the title race, but fall out of the podium altogether, having gone three matches without a win. To make matters worse, their midweek tie in the Coupe de France against Red Star had seen them go all the way to penalties against the third division side. Fortunately, they saved face by winning the shootout. They hosted an Angers side who were still digesting the news that iconic coach Stéphane Moulin, the longest serving in Europe's top five leagues, I believe, was stepping down at the end of the season. OL needed all three points in this one, with the most difficult run-in of all the top four to go, and even Champions League qualification looking increasingly unlikely. To do so... Rudy Garcia finally shook things up, starting Islam Slimani up front and fielding Maxence Kakare in midfield with the side set up in a 4-2-3-1. Stefan Baucan tested Anthony Lopez early, but Leon gradually took charge of the match, opening the scoring through Memphis Depay. Lucas Paqueta, paying, playing in the number 10 role, added a second shortly after, and it was pretty plain sailing for Leon. Despite a couple of decent opportunities for the visitors, OL made it 3-0 in a second half thanks to an outrageous chip from Memphis Depay and managed to hold on for a 3-0 win. Eric, finally some tactical flexibility from Rudy Garcia and it finally paid off. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, we've seen Memphis do very well playing on the left before, um, you know, back back in that 2016-17 season. Um or sorry, 2017-18 season when they had Mariano, they had, you know, like Slimani, a big physical uh, presence centrally. Uh, and he played as more of an, well, if not an orthodox winger, um, certainly more to the flanks. And he did very well. I think his, his goal and assist numbers during that season were exceptionally solid. And I think we've seen we've seen that, you know, his potential here too. He, you know, two superbly well-taken finishes, I, I might add. Um, if you haven't seen the goals, do, do look them up. But uh, I think more so than the how impressed I was with Memphis. I, I want to mention more than that. Um, the, the, the play of uh, Maxence Cacre um, and Lucas Paqueta. Paqueta obviously is a player who has been playing in a box-to-box role for much of the time since he's been in France. Um, but his reputation in both in Brazil and in Italy was of that of, was that of a more creative player. And I think he hadn't really been sort of unshackled, pardon me, to see that in a significant way uh, since his arrival in France. Um, and I think that you know, he, he displayed flashes of that, as it were, uh, in the midweek match and continued to look good in, in doing as much. And I think that, um, pardon me, I, I think that, that that freedom that that was afforded him was really impressive. Um, and it also showed, you know, a good level of, uh, sorry, it also showed a good level of, um, you know, improvisation. He, you know, he, he gets through the yards, he gets the work done, but he also has 
you know, fairly creative gifts. And I, I think that's something this team has sorely been lacking. Now, I'm, I know Memphis Depay has a decent number of assists, but in terms of him being an out-and-out creator, it's not something we'd seen enough of uh, from him throughout the team of late. And um, I think that sense of imagination um, was was really what a lot of what was weighing Leon down, as it were, of, of late. So uh, to have that come into the team, and again, Kakare, you know, oh, maybe his best performance of the season. Um, he certainly looked to be, you know, up to the level that he was uh, last, you know, last season in the in that Champions League. Um, for Leon, really, really playing well, um, and uh, you know, e- you know, giving up not only um, allowing Paqueta to have freedom, but also giving uh, Guimaraes a bit more perf- um, license to get forward as well. Um, yeah, I- I'd say a fairly complete performance from from Leon. Um, who, you know, perhaps were a little bit lucky. They did look a little wobbly at the back. Lopez had uh, some good saves to make, especially in the first half. Um, but I think by and large, you know, Leon will have, uh, you know, been happy with, with how this match ended up shaking out. Mo, um, Hussam obviously missed this one through injury. And, you know, Eric quite rightly waxed lyrical there about Paqueta's performance in that more advanced midfield role. He got mm-hmm. a goal and an assist. Uh, playing behind Carl Toko Akambi. Um Does Hussein Mawar even get in this team anymore? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, he still offers, um, you know, a different profile to, to the rest of the midfielders. He's still uh, got some quality. I think it's just, it's hard to pinpoint what his struggles have been this season uh, because there is certainly a very key player, a very influential player in the midfield there. It's just that, you know, under this particular system, first of all, Paqueta is really mercurial going forward for, for a while in terms of creating and, and being amongst the goals. But, um, you know, you've got the rest of them doing such a good job, but you can't really put a price on his um, hours um, value to this team still. I think the best I can say is that if they were to sell him for big money, which I don't think necessarily will be as big as what they would have got last year, um, I think maybe Eric can confirm they probably won't miss him as much as they thought they would. Um, given that the others are stepping up, they've got you know Tiago Mendes, Guimarães, Kakare, uh, all doing a very very decent job with Paqueta ahead of that. Um, and you know it, it allows them to to move in between the you know playing four three three or four two three one formation very very seamlessly. I think there's there's still there's still some value there for for our. I mean. It, it's, it, I guess it's peaks and troughs, but if they were to let him go um, for, for 30 million plus this summer, I don't think there'll be too many tears considering the way that this season has gone um, for the rest of the midfielders. No. And also, add, add, add in, to dovetail with that, I think that Ryan Sherkey has looked better and better yeah. over the course of the season. Um, you know, I, He was someone who I was a little lukewarm on earlier in the campaign, but he's really, I think, coming into his own. I think his, he looks motivated, he looks focused in his cameos. Is he ready to take that big step? I'm not 100% sold on that, but John Lucas has also looked good since he's gone on loan at Brest. Um, so, yeah, I, I I would not miss Awar, especially if you can bring in, say, you know, uh, I mean, what does this team need? Uh, maybe you can get an improvement in goalkeeper. I know Lopez has had his moments, but, um, I, you know, I, I sort of question whether he's the right answer. Maxwell Corne at left back. There's upgrades to be made in this team if they do want to challenge for the title next season which I think has to be a goal at this point. Um, 
so yeah, I think if if, my, if someone still wants to offer forty or fifty or thirty, even thirty for Alwar, um, yeah, I'd be I'd be more than happy to see that um, uh, line Leon's coffers. Yeah, it's good good money in 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 this current climate. But um, Jez, now that 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 Garcia has kind of switched things up after at least on this podcast, he's kind of got quite a lot of ire. Um, from us around his kind of how wedded he is to that 4-3-3 and how Slimani hasn't been able to lead the line for them so far. Did you see signs in this performance that perhaps Leon can make a late, um, a kind of a late challenge for the title again or a late surge? Um, or do you feel it's just beyond them at this point, particularly given how difficult their run is compared to the sides above them? It's, it's not beyond them because you know, they're, they're still in touch. They've still got Lille and Monaco to play. So you know, win those two matches and they're right up there and they're bringing two of their direct opponents sort of down down with them. Um, I just, and I think the positives are that I just, I find that Lyon sort of, it feels like they, they go through these runs of form where they kind of play either play well or get positive results at least in clusters and then sort of go off the boil in clusters and then come back again. So, you know, ho- hopefully this is the start of a new run. I thought there were real positive signs. Um, as, as we said, Angers did have a couple of big chances and things could have been different if they'd gone in. But um, I thought Guimaraes, who hasn't hit the heights of, of when he first arrived, looked a little better. I've said before, you know, I, I love Kakare. I don't particularly rate Alwa most of the time. Um, so for me, I think if he's injured and, and Kakare is allowed to really find form, I think that's that's a real blessing in disguise for, for Lyon. Um, I just think he cares a lot more. I think he gives us all every match. I think he's better defensively. I think he plays quicker or allows Lyon to play quicker. So I think that's all good. Um, uh, rightly or wrongly, so much of what Lyon do depends on Depay, uh, who hasn't been in great form recently, but uh, two really good goals. Um, if if he can maintain form, and I'm sure he's got half an eye on the on the sort of summer transfer window as well, if he can um, get to his best form and have the likes of Kakare and Paqueta um, ke- keeping up the, the good things that, that, that they showed at the weekend and have done at other times in the season, then... I think they, it's tough because they've got the toughest run in and they're, they're starting from further behind. But we all know Lyon can be anyone on their day. I'm not sure that... Uh, I don't have the faith in them that they can maintain it um, for long enough to, to really challenge at the end of the season, especially you know if they, if they were in Lyon's position, maybe it would be different. But... Um, you know, they, they've got more ground to make up on and then maintain that form. And I just can't see them doing that. But we know that they can be anyone. So if they can put enough of those results together, you know, Tokare Kambi and, and Kadawera, not always the, the greatest footballers, but um, at times this season have weighed in with important goals at important times. If, and it's lots and lots of ifs, if all these players can find the best form that they've shown at times this season and all turn it on at the same time, then then they'll be up there. But um, unfortunately, and, and you know, I said Lille, uh, my preference to win the title, Lyon would be realistically, but I, ju- I just don't, I don't think they can do it. No, it does seem that they've left themselves too much to do. I do think that they've been uh, their own worst enemy this season or 
at least Rudy Garcia has at points because it is it was that I thought the difference that or I have thought that the difference that Maxence Kakare has made to that midfield since he's come back in has been has been palpable um but perhaps too little too late for OL their opposition obviously in this one um are going to be without uh, a head coach potentially this summer uh, depending on when they name Stefan Moulin's successor um but he is of course stepping down after being in the role for 10 years um he joined the club in 2011 um obviously won promotion with them to Ligue 1 and has remained there ever since um it's it's quite a turbulent time for Angers obviously last season they lost um their their sporting director Olivier Picou who's at uh, I believe he's at Caen in Ligue 2 now um what's next for for Angers Eric because this really is the 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 end of an era and I'm sure I should get should get Thomas Wiseman on for a chat because I'm sure he's got all sorts to say um although I'm sure perhaps now that the, the wounds are too sore but 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 yeah this is you know this is such a, a time of of transition we talk about managerial changes after a couple of seasons or players experienced players at clubs moving on perhaps as with our conversation on Montpellier earlier but this this is this is hugely significant what, what what's next for Angers you know, I don't know. It's interesting. They, it's not like they haven't spent money on some younger players in the recent past. I mean, uh, Paul Berendoni clearly had the headliner there, but also, you know, Angelo Fulgini, I think, is a, a very talented, capable player uh, who's 24, 25, who's, who's, who's impressed um, by and large. Um, you know, Lasana Koulibaly was a decent prospect when he was at Bastia. Um, you know, there's hope that he can play a role going forward. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you have like Sapira Capel, the defenders, uh, Romain Thomas and Ismail Traore, Vincent Manso, um, Thomas Man- Mangani, who was on the bench to start this match, but but came on. I mean, there there's a a lot of of work to be done here, um, and I think you know without the steady hand of Moulin, um, you know this could, next season could be exceptionally ugly for Angers. Um, and I hate to say it because I, I do think that they are a club that have you know, are, are a role model for sustainability in, in you know, a stoke, if you will, uh, you know, <laughs> ne- never being too flash, but, but, well, I mean, right. Maybe there's a better analogy for English football. I'll leave that to, to the, the Brits among us. Um, but, you know, a team who are, who are steady in defense, uh, who are solid, um, who look at sustainability as, as a, as a byword for their operating philosophy, um, and are able to, I think, by and large, be a be a challenging opponent um, to most teams. I mean, there was that Coupe de France uh, final run was that 2017. Um, you know, so they have they have shown they can be an obdurate and, and difficult opponent. They also did very well, um, I believe, in 2014, 15 or 15, 16, um, when they were um, certainly in the in the European places up until the halfway mark of the season. So, mm. yeah. I, um, you know they're not going to take anybody by surprise, and I think a major retooling's needed here. So I think as as disappointing uh, and as frustrating as the departure of Mulan might be vis-a-vis that, in terms of that continuity, um, you know perhaps a newer manager with a with a fresh pair of eyes could make a positive difference, um, especially given how much of the playing staff uh, is going to be, need to be restructured as well. I was thinking of I was trying to think of another a, a club. I think Stoke is a good one. Otherwise, I was thinking of Crystal Palace. 
at the moment if you uh, wanted a, a Premier League comparison because I think uh, although perhaps with a, a slightly less liked manager these days amongst their fan base because they have Roy Hodgson who's who's bought them stability consistently solid but um, is at the end of his contracts up soon and and uh, they've got a, a quite an old squad but also with a few young talented players so it will be a big there's a reference point for anyone who needs one, perhaps uh, an additional one. Um, so I've got, I've got a slightly older one, but I was, I was thinking Charl- Charlton because you know as long as Kerbishley was their coach, they mm-hmm. they they stayed quite comfortably in the top flight, and as soon as he left, they sort of plummeted. And I really do worry for Angers, um, you know, mainly because of Moulin, but as you said, it's an old squad as well, and um, uh, you know there's a lot of players on the wrong side of thirty. Um, they're, they're not blooding enough young players as the, there's a CIES report that came out today and actually seven of the top 10 teams worldwide for giving minutes to um, players under 21 are from Ligue 1. But um, I think it's Angers, Nantes and Brest were the, were the worst round French teams. So there's not that much coming through. And there's, it sounds like there's a real mess behind the scenes as well. So yeah, I, I really worry about them for next year. Well, Thomas Wiseman, if you're listening, you may want to, uh, well, turn this off. <laughs> You've missed your opportunity now, but, um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's a real crossroads for 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 Angers and and would be a shame for a club that's had so much kind of stability over the last ten years if things were to unravel, given the huge turnover that they're undoubtedly going to be facing. Uh, and have already started to face. And yeah, Alan Kerbishley at, at Charlton is, is is probably a perfect example, Jez, given that he also got them promoted to the Premier League in the first place, I believe. So um, so yeah, crossroads for Angers. Although maybe Stefan Moulin will end his time at the club uh, with a trophy because uh, Angers did advance to the quarterfinals of the Coupe de France by beating lower league Sedan. Uh, they do, however, face Paris Saint-Germain um, who we will be moving on to now um, and perhaps will be kind of uh, too tall an order uh, for Angers. Uh, but Paris Saint-Germain, they beat Strasbourg 4-1 at the weekend to close the gap on Lille again to three points, uh, an accomplished performance from Le Parisien. Uh, they obviously face Bayern Munich um, in a crunch tie tomorrow in the Champions League. They have a 3-2 lead over Bayern, including obviously away goals, um, but will be without Marco Verratti or likely without Marco Verratti, I should say. Mauricio Pochettino today said Verratti might have a hard time starting tomorrow in comparison to Florenzi. We will see tomorrow morning. So Florenzi looking likely perhaps to be back for Paris Saint-Germain, but Verratti still out. Marquinhos obviously went off injured in the first leg. He could be missing, but Bayern have their absences too. Mo, are are Paris favourites? Now, given their lead going into this one, and given that both sides have have absolutely, <coughs> I'm trying to find a way to uh, not confirm those favourites because considering our uh, discussion last week, uh, our quick poll that Bayern would, would go through, but <laughs> you'd you'd have to you'd have to call them favourites. I think obviously, I think they were they they did superbly well coming away with with our victory of the Alliance last week in, in challenging conditions. Um, and obviously they came through the Strasbourg game, you know, largely unscathed as well. Uh, Bayern in particular are missing quite a few people, and Paris, you know, at home and having reached a certain level of performance over the last um, two games since that demoralising uh, lead victory, 
um, are, you know, are looking very, very well. I mean, Bayern in particular looked again stifled um, at home to Union Berlin, which I saw on on Saturday. Um, and all things considered, it, it would be a shock if PSG lose it from this position with their three away goals, with their sort of superiority, with Mbappe in in sort of really, really good form. Um, and of course, Bayern in particular looking um, a bit jaded and also with with injury issues at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, it will be potentially, I don't want to say fingers crossed because I'm definitely not going to um, <laughs> wish um, anything, but it's looking very likely that they will be potential semi-finalists. Well, back to back semi-finalists potentially, and uh, I'm reading now that Lewandowski trained today, so um, realistically unlikely, uh, well, very unlikely that he will be involved. But you never, never know the the powers that be uh, in the world of football. You know, they have their ways, the spirits um, who who work their magic. Um, um, Eric, um, what did you make of the of the first leg? Because um, obviously. PSG got the win, but they were under a lot of pressure. And 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 uh, like Jez was saying earlier, you know, goalkeepers don't win teams matches by themselves. But certainly uh, Navas was was crucial to to Paris Saint Germain getting uh, getting the win there. What did you make of their performance? And and do you feel that the second leg could play out quite similarly in terms of uh, you know there being lots of chances for both teams and it being quite a frantic one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think. It, I think it depends, you know, what they decide to do in, in defense. I think that's a that's a huge deal because you've got Danilo Pereira who might line up there. Um, you could also have Thilo Carrera play played alongside Kimpembe. You could have uh, Abu Diallo, um, but Pereira, ah, you know, <laughs> really makes me nervous. He did not look competent. He did not look or competent, competent or confident uh, in that match on Wednesday, and I really worry that PSG, you know, could be on the verge of letting that lead slip, um, you know, just by the, into the fact that Bayern has so much pace and that uh, Pereira is, again, not naturally a central defender and and not naturally um, the quickest player. Um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I have a slight uh, amount of fear for, for Bayern, I, is, or for PSG, as is, is, is silly as that sounds. I know that that, that that lead, it looks solid, if not insurmountable, but gosh, I mean... I, I don't know. Um, I, I just think that, you know, I'm not a huge XG person, but I, I think the XG stats for that 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 uh, match had Byron winning by, by quite handily, uh, even mm-hmm. without um, Lewandowski. And, you know, I think that, you know, the psychological threat that, oh, could he play, you know, yeah. that might play a, play a role in, in PSG's considerations for the match. I don't think that he starts, but, okay, you know, say, say it's 3-2 in the reverse fixture. You know, level on away goals, which could happen. Who knows? Um, you know, and he's an option off the bench. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's a challenging situation for for the hosts tomorrow. Just picture this: ninety third minute. It is three two to Bayern Munich, and the ball, the cross, finds the head of Eric Maxim Chupamoting, who gives Bayern an unlikely win, an unlikely uh, comeback. I should say a four two win. That's my that's my prediction right there. Uh, Jez, who do you see going through? It's you know for all the all the reasons you've just discussed. It's a relative, it's a hard one to call because, frankly, Bayern kind of outplayed PSG in the first match, but PSG 
as I sort of alluded to earlier, played brilliantly as a team. And they kind of, in Mbappe, they've got exactly the kind of player that can hurt Bayern. Um, you know, even last year, Bayern were, were happy to sort of push forward and, and um, kind of leave lots of spaces at the back because they were playing so supremely. And even in the, in the final, I think a fully fit Mbappe could have, have caused a little bit of damage. This year, I think Bayern, probably as much because of tiredness and, and lack of, fit, of fitness, I was going to say, I mean, you know, injuries as well, as much as anything else, are not quite the same team they were. And um, it seems to me that most weeks in the Bundesliga, although they win, they usually end up giving the other team a one or two goal head start. Um, and I think a player like Mbappe can still hurt them. And then you've got to factor in the fact that, you know, PSG are not, I don't think, entirely over this mental block about second legs, as we saw against Barcelona, where, frankly, they were outplayed in the second match and, and could easily have, have, have lost that one or, or lost the whole tie, I think. Um, so uh, I still think it's very, very close. I, for me, I, th- I just I can't see PSG not scoring. Um, I, I can kind of see Bayern... Scoring one, somehow Navas having another blinder and then sort of late on PSG hit them on the break, get the draw and go through. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty fraught. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that, I, you know, I was I was I was saying my prediction of, of Chupomoting finding a winner, winner late on was kind of in jest. I think PSG are in a commanding position and can do so much damage on the break and also have... Uh, are in a position where Bayern do need to score more than one goal. So, so you know, they do very much have the upper hand. And and as you say, Jez, I think Bayern uh, aren't playing at the level that they were last season. And there has been a fair amount of speculation around the future of Hansi Flick beyond this summer. Um, so that coupled with the fact that they too are missing players means, well, first and foremost, I think we're in for a, a very interesting uh match but second I do still believe that Paris Saint-Germain will make it through as I predicted before um and just in case I forget next week given that my um my you know not to not to back myself too much but given that my predictions have come to fruition so far I would just like to take the opportunity given that I have this platform to say that I think Chelsea are going to win the whole thing and hope that uh, that that comes that comes true um anyway um that will be all from us uh, today. Uh, many thanks, Eric, Mo, and Jez for joining me. Uh, as always, please make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter. And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. And please also don't forget to check out uh, issue four of The Modern Footballer, um, our latest print publication uh, for a quintessential insight into the world of European football. Um, all sorts of fascinating reads in that. Uh, I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devin, Muhammad Ali, and Jeremy Smith. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.